planning to teach, so you get me again. So good luck with that. If you want these, there's not much on them, but a good place to keep notes and keep track of where we'll go. So we'll just kind of um, move through this doctrine of the Holy Spirit a little bit um, as we continue. And we have one more week in this series looking at different doctrines uh, that are really substantial for the church, for our lives. And so there's many of the guys who've taught who felt the necessity of once you get into these, you recognize that there is much, much more that we should be doing, much, much more time that should be spent. And so it's funny how it's easy to not spend a lot of time in doctrine. And then you start to study it, you're saying, wow, there is a treasure trove here of things I need to know, I should spend time thinking on, spend time working through. Um, just real quick before we dive into this, uh, just how has a series on doctrine, uh, many of you I think have been here for many of them, uh, has that been helpful to you, just reflections on that as a general, just the, the benefits to you, the benefits to the church you see? Yeah, just, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that big systematic doesn't feel as big anymore. You're like, this is all you're going to say on the topic? <laughs> uh, yeah. Any others? Yeah, I do think there's a... Oh, there we are. Look at me. I'm here. Um, I do think there's a, a richness to studying doctrine, and uh, at times we don't know how to do this well, because we want to state things just with absolute certainty at moments, as we talked about, like these are things that we can hold to in Scripture that really are truth, but there is a way that we hold to this and teach this and understand it that really should be life-giving, not as we enter in with people, just cutting them down. Um, and so there's a way to learn how to to learn doctrine, to hold to doctrine, and be confident in it, and not be overly aggressive with it. And so there's uh, something that's really sweet as you start to study doctrine, that it does give a sense of confidence, of there are things in Scripture that I can know. And in the face of our culture that really is very postmodern, as we looked at towards the beginning of this series, that's a real comfort to us, to say, I can know something about my God. I can know something about Scripture. I can know something about the work of Christ, the person of Christ, even my own being, uh, the doctrine of humanity, which we didn't even really get into. I mean, there are many, many different doctrines we can look at Scripture and say, I don't know everything about everything, and there's a humility that I have there that God is still God. I am still human receiving these things, but there's a confidence that when God speaks, I can hold on to it and say, you can do anything you want to me, <laughs> world, but like this, this is something I know. Like You can't take that away. And so there's something really sweet about doctrine in that sense to say like there's a, a confidence and a peace and a hope that we really get to hold on to. And this only gets firmer, I think, the, the more we study. And it shouldn't make us more aggressive, but actually just more peaceful and restful to say, I, I trust my God just a little bit more. Uh, so the doctrine we're looking at this morning is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And this is one um, that is really rather difficult, if you think about it, of what do we say about the Holy Spirit? How do we <laughs> pin him down into a doctrinal statement? And similarly to God, like this is 
thinking about the person and character of God because the Spirit is God. So there's a humility we want to have to not state more than Scripture says, but also we want to be able to grab hold of it and say, what do we believe? But the, the doctrine of the Spirit oftentimes is kind of just moved beyond very quickly. And we'll just kind of, uh, I think Sinclair Ferguson said he's the, the forgotten member of the Trinity, and many others have said that. And it's like, <laughs> he's there, we assume him, we receive his benefits, but then we kind of like go back to Christ usually. is kind of the, the place we go, and we, we just glance over him. And so uh, we do want to spend some time just thinking about the Holy Spirit. But as we enter in here, just curious how you guys have thought about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, um, just in general terms of who is the Spirit. It's, it's rather challenging because you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You, know, you start to look at this one, you're like, what do I know? I'm not necessarily asking for everything you know, but just in general. Yeah, very Yeah, points back to them. Yeah, helps you understand better. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You're very thankful you have them, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Kevin, yeah. Hmm. It implies. Yeah. Yeah, like the, I think the, very simplified version is like the Father decrees, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. Yeah, that, that becomes something that's, I mean, oversimplified but helpful um, to think about what is the Spirit doing. And then you start to realize like the Spirit is very, very important. <laughs> the Spirit is very, very important. If I neglect Him, I'm missing all the benefits of Christ actually. Like the, those are inaccessible to me. And you start to realize like there's something that Jesus was saying, it's, it is better for you if I go. You're like, why? <laughs> like Jesus, you're right, we want you here. And, and Jesus is saying like, you have no idea. All of this becomes uh, available to you at that point. Um, there are a few handouts up here. They're very brief, but they'll give you an outline of kind of where we're looking and going this morning. Um, so with, with this look at the Holy Spirit, I think there are two ends of a spectrum that we can kind of run to. Um, one would say, I see the benefits of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to just emphasize uh, what I get from him. The, the, the charismatic movements would run very far over here, especially Pentecostals. I mean, this is one of the most prominent you know, belief systems in the world today. It just is exploding because, one, it's exciting. Like, you see things happening. Like, you see people get excited, and you go to a Pentecostal service, uh, and it's lively. <laughs> you know, there's people jumping around everywhere. Not very much like the Reformed churches that uh, you can barely get them to move and say hello to their neighbor, <laughs> uh, which is us and me. Very, very much so. 
Uh, and so there's a, a severe contrast here between that and then the other end of the spectrum, which says it's messy to jump into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I can't control it. I can't know it fully. And therefore, let me minimize it down to just a, a theological topic at, at most. Like, let's, let's keep this where I can kind of uh, feel comfortable with it. Because you do get into the work of the Holy Spirit, and what does it say? The Spirit comes and goes. <laughs> You're like, wait, I wanted you to do this work. Where are you going? And all of a sudden, the Spirit moves its presence on. And we can recognize this at moments generally there's there's movements of the holy spirit and you're like the church is growing and we can't make sense of it and then all of a sudden it goes um, and i would say there are certain churches that you look at like this and there's a work even uh, there's a really well done podcast on mars hill and you look at that and there's the massive amounts of brokenness within that church circle and yet there is something about the way that it started and was working you're like Man, it seemed like God was using it for a time and then kind of moved on. And the thing just disappeared overnight. It was astounding how fast that thing disappeared. And you start to say, man, that is, you know. <laughs> and there are moments, like I remember looking at that, it's like they're producing like good music, some really good resources. And you're like, man, I kind of wish that kept going. It's like, well, the spirit moved on. Like, I trust him. Like, God didn't disappear, but. He moved on from it. Um, so there are those different extremes to say, like, let me try and control it and let me uh, try and make more of it of God than he even intends to and manipulate. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, videos of these charismatic healing movements where it's like Benny Hinn has a lightsaber and he's slashing people down with the Holy Spirit. And it's like this becomes a, a mockery, really, of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it really is uh, very difficult to know what to do in the middle of this. It's a very confusing landscape. But there are things in Scripture that we don't have to look out and say, I don't know anything. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here because uh, it's confusing. It's like, no, Scripture does teach us quite a bit. So we can enter in just like we have with the rest of this doctrine series and say there are things we can know and desire and want to develop and grow in. So the Holy Spirit is, um, is, for us, this is God. Like we, we can recognize that there's something about the Holy Spirit. He is God, and He is accomplishing the work of Christ, pointing all glory to Christ. And there is something about who God is that we can start to understand in the Holy Spirit. So the, the personality of the Holy Spirit can be known in a couple of ways. Uh, one of them is that the Scripture identifies Him as God. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, we think of the Great Commission. Go therefore baptizing the nations and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one of the spots you start to see to say, well, the Spirit's not just um, this vague, different being. Like, he's so important that he sits on the same plane of authority as God himself, God the Father. And so there is a submission within the, within the Trinity, but like Jesus just said, like you must baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's an authority that the Holy Spirit carries there. Uh, the same authority that God carries. And then we go into what we've identified. Like, like the Spirit applies. So this is fully God, similar to Christ, like fully God. But then the Spirit uh, is not distant. He's personal. 
you start to hear of the Spirit being your helper, the Spirit being in you, the Spirit being a comforter to you. And you say, wow, I, God can fully, if we, if we think of the, the fellowship we have with God, the unity we have with God, the union we have with God, uh, I think we could recognize that this is how? Through the Spirit. God in me. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Let's turn there real quick. Um, this is just kind of baffling when we think about this. So this is the Apostle Paul talking about a contrast we looked at before of life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. And he's starting to define what life in the spirit is. And this should really kind of hurt our brains to think of how the spirit is living in and through me and it is still me. Like that, that's one of those concepts of, uh, of God that I just can't quite get my mind around. And I will continue to be discipled in this by God himself. But he says this, those who are in the flesh, verse 8, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Spirit of, I mean, this is a pretty substantial statement that it's very easy to just take and keep moving. It's like, oh, I need to be spiritual. It's like, no, no. The Spirit of God himself uh, Westminster talks about God being, God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and his holiness, goodness, being, justice, and truth. I mean, there is this idea of like all of, like that is God's spirit, the characteristics of God now in me. So God says, I'm going to write my law on your heart. Like who perfectly represents the law? Well, God's character is, rep is represented by the law, and all of a sudden now you have the spirit in you. Like there is a, a wealth of power residing in the believer. And often the Apostle Paul pushes on this and says, like, live in the Spirit. And we're saying, how can I change? That's impossible. Like, how can I change someone else? Like, this stony heart won't change. Like, there's no way to change this will. And God is saying, with God, the eternal God of all creation, who you believe can create something out of nothing, you believe can accomplish all of salvation, this same God has the potential to dwell in your heart and soul and to apply these works. I mean, that's a, a pretty baffling thing to think of, the Spirit of God himself. I mean, it talks about the Spirit in the Old Testament. Like, they built the temple, and the Spirit of God descended into the temple, and no one, like, it was full. Like, no one could get into the temple. Like, the presence of God was, I mean, it's like, it's like wow. <laughs> I cannot be... Uh, in that space, like there's, there's something just very amazing about the Spirit of God. Kevin, you had a thought, yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And there's probably some, this is probably getting towards the application, but you start to understand the depth of this doctrine, God dwelling in me, like I probably would stop wanting to walk in the flesh a lot more if I really understood that. I'd be like, why do I want to keep doing these things in, in and of my own nature? My old nature, that is. <laughs> it's like, well, well, it's because it's comfortable and easy and I know it. That's <laughs> probably why I do it. Uh, yeah. Isaac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, wait, where did Christ come from? <laughs> like the Trinity doctrine starts to become like the connectedness starts to come in there and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you start to say, like, well, if I, if I understand something about God and the person of God, like, I don't have to abstract it from the spirit. Like, it's actually kind of refreshing. Of like, God, Jesus is more tangible. And you're like, well, the spirit is not so distinct that I can't understand anything about him if I understand something about Christ. So in some senses, that's a, a theological comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't hold it down and think about it. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Right. Yeah, they have different roles, but they're very unified in their character. They're very unified in their work. Um, so he is indeed God. He's very personal. And he has the same characteristics, I think, of God himself as we're talking about. I mean, there's something we can really know about this person, the Holy Spirit. Um, So I think a couple of things we could look at. Um, there are some, and this might just add some, um, probably some just clarity around the Holy Spirit. So I'll look up a couple of these. Someone will want to look up Hebrews, actually do the next one. Actually, someone do Hebrews 9.14. Um, maybe I'll get a volunteer so we're not all going to the same spot. Go ahead, Marissa. And then Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Go ahead. And then 1 Corinthians 2, test, you want to do this one? Verses 10 through 11. And then someone else has a Bible. Uh, Luke 1, 35 through 37. And one last one, Romans 1, 4. You have one? Yeah. So these are looking at some divine attributes of the Holy Spirit. And these should not sound unfamiliar to the divine attributes of God himself. Um, and this won't be earth-shattering, but it should add maybe a little bit of um, comfort here. So the first one, Hebrews 9, we're looking at this verse, and this should help us understand this divine attribute of the Holy Spirit being eternal. 
I'm going to go ahead and read that. I forgot who I gave it to already. Yeah, I mean, it's just stating that, and, you know, there's a characteristic about Christ that's obviously before the foundations of the world, like the word was when, <laughs> it's before all these things, as John talks about it, God the Father, we get the sense that he's before all time, Jesus, and now we just have the Spirit being identified in a very similar way. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, someone has that. There's something about this doctrine, actually, like we attribute it often to probably more, I don't know if it's God the Father, like oftentimes I hear this omnipresent nature of God, and I, I don't you know, usually think about it as the Spirit, but like the characteristics of the Spirit go across, I think the other ones kind of take this one from the Spirit, <laughs> of like the Spirit is everywhere, um, and this one probably belongs more in the realm of God the Spirit, but um, yeah but it is true of the others as well because it's true of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is omniscient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 there. I mean, this is like the, the, this medium between us and God, the spirit who knows the full depths of the mind of God, <clears throat> and it says God's mind is unsearchable, right? And then the full depths of our own heart, which the depths of our sin is unsearchable. <laughs> uh, it's like this spirit is working in both of those fields. Um, any, yeah, interaction with that, that one just, uh, that adds a bit of, I suppose, comfort to me as I walk through life and I, there's moments I'm like, I don't know what God would think of this or want me to do, or, and yet you have the Spirit dwelling in you and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> he's not revealed it to me, so I should probably trust. <laughs> he knows every single thing, like this omniscience of God who is also personal. That is, omniscience doesn't seem to be a personal trait. Uh, any of these absolute traits don't seem personal. And yet the Spirit makes them personal. That, that one is a very difficult thing to comprehend. Like they, they seem that they're polar opposite. Like you think of very powerful people, they're not very approachable, usually in our world. Like, oh, the most powerful person in the world. It's like you don't just walk into the most powerful person in the world's presence. <laughs> it's like uh, you've got you to be invited. And yet with God, the Spirit makes God very personal. That is a very comforting but very strange thing. It's like me being a child of God, I get to like be in his presence, know the mind of God as far as he reveals it to me. And like he is right there. So that's a very comforting doctrine, but a very somber doctrine at the same time, I suppose. Um, we just read 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, 
the Holy Spirit is omnipotent or powerful, all-powerful, omnipotent. Luke chapter 1, 35 to 37. Yeah, I mean, just that little statement, nothing is impossible. I mean, Jesus hints at this many times, like, and he usually puts it in this place of, like, if, if you even just have faith, like, the most infinitesimal faith, <laughs> like, like, the access to all that God is capable of starts to become possible. Like, and he says, like, you could tell this mountain to move into the sea, and it would. Uh, and this just starts to hint at the all-powerfulness of God. And it's like, we know this, like God created all things. You know, like the, the, the specificity of creation down to like microscopic levels of things operating to the, the expanse. You're like, I should, you know, not be surprised that a little bit of faith in that powerful of a God would, <laughs> uh, you know, and yet it is quite difficult to comprehend uh, the Spirit is holy. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Sure, go ahead. Hmm. I mean, we think of God being... This is a... You all could engage with this as well, but this, like when I think of God being down to the depths of my soul, up to the heights of God's mind, it makes sense if I think of either one of those, that God is holy. I mean, this is the mystery of redemption, that angels look in, as First Peter talks about, and they just marvel at redemption, because they're like, how does a holy God exist with sin? How is God going to redeem this sin? This is, this is unthinkable. And yet he does. Like, and there's this sense of like, God is all holy, but I can't take away the fact that he's personal too. He, he's living in the midst of the mess of my own heart. And it doesn't say like, it's not a big deal. Like it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't unite your members uh, to a prostitute to the, first, to the book of 1 Corinthians. I think he's saying like, I mean, don't do that. <laughs> because it's like the Holy Spirit's with you. And he's holy, and he does, I mean, that's not the way the Holy Spirit wants to operate. And yet he bears with us. He doesn't abandon us in our sin. But, yeah, God is holy. The Spirit is holy. Yeah, really, I mean, you look at these characteristics, you're like, those are, that is God. Like, I, I don't see those, and I think of some, something else, you know, outside of Christ and the Father. I, I think of, like, wow, that sounds very much like God. Um. And there's a, a comfort to that. Of he, he becomes more knowable all of a sudden, I think, in that, in that context. Um, as we continue on here, thinking of who God is and all that he has done, uh, we can think of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and there is, as we've talked about, <clears throat> there is a purpose of God that emanates from God the Father of before the foundations of the world, God promised this plan of redemption 
So this covenant of redemption saying, I will redeem for me a people. Um, and there's this foresight of God to understand what's going on here. And this becomes particular in God's covenant of grace. But the covenant of redemption very much was this, this idea that God would engage with human beings who, obviously, he has some foreknowledge of there's going to be uh, some form of redemption needed. And so there's this picture of the work of God that is, it's not as if the Holy Spirit is accomplishing different work that we must keep in mind. We say, what is God about? What is the purpose of God? What is the plan of God? And we don't know the fullness of that, but we do know something about that. God entered in, this is the gospel message, right? Like there's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This starts to map out for us what is God about. And Jesus culminates this when he says, pray like this, longing for the same things that God longs for. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom entering in. And then we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets really messy in charismatic circles, that they divorce the Holy Spirit from the person of God, and they divorce the Holy Spirit from the actual work of God. As if God would just do whatever I want him to do. (laughs) If I want a healing, he's going to give me a healing. If I want some information, he's going to give me some information. And it's like, this is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. This is not, I mean, he is gracious with us sometimes, just as Jesus would enter into villages and heal, just to show his compassion and kindness. That wasn't his purpose. And sometimes he would just leave, up and go. And it's like, wait, there's more people to be healed. He's like, this isn't why I've come. And he'd move on. It was very clear that Jesus had a purpose. It's very clear that the Holy Spirit has a purpose in work. And there is a, a pretty clear sense that even in the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has a work in two ways. One is in the work of Christ. Um, I'm just identifying a couple, but there's plenty of other jobs the Holy Spirit has. The work of Christ, and then also in the work of us, the church, the believers. So first, the, the work of Christ. Um, as we just reflect on the work of Christ, how is it the Holy Spirit worked in and through him? As you guys think of that story, the, the way that this works, and this doesn't have to be highly theological. It could just be um, as you remember the Gospels and the way the Holy Spirit works there. Think even of uh, Jesus in the, the wilderness as he's wandering. There's a sense that the Holy Spirit minister, the angels are ministering to him, but God sustained him. There's some, some nature that the Holy Spirit is caring for him there. Um, I think of his baptism. Like this becomes the, the beginning of his ministry when the, when the Spirit descends upon Jesus and enters him in a, in a very unique way to say, I mean, God was also saying, like, this is <laughs> my son. I am identifying very specifically with him. But then there's a work that God, Jesus is accomplishing through the Holy Spirit um, in, a, in a ministry that he's accomplishing. Yeah, the anointing. Yep. Yes. Hmm. 
which is like, mm -hmm. right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, and that was like <clears throat> the the messianic expectation of Jesus being the Christ. Like that is really they're saying, I want this uh, one who's going to be like David. And, and scripture talks about that. And really it's the fulfillment of that. Like all of a sudden it's like God's like, yes, this is, <laughs> he is the fulfillment of David, but not in the, the limited sense of just oil. Like I'm giving you like the fullness of what even the oil represented, like God's presence. <laughs> like this is my anointed one. This is the one I chose. Yeah, there's something very unique about that moment of the purpose and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the whole church. <laughs> uh, that is seen first through Christ, yeah. So the Spirit does have a very specific role there, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. A moment to help us see. Yeah, there seems to be a, a sense that, uh, well, we don't probably exactly know, how God works and the interconnectedness of God and the disconnectedness of God it seems to be a very unique moment of disconnectedness when Christ, you know, is crucified. Like, that's a very unique sense of it. So I, I don't know that it had that sense of disconnectedness, but uh, yeah, it'd be more of a theological topic than a, like, what does the Bible say? As far as I can recall in the early chapters of uh, the Gospels, it's like it just says he descended and, like, well, you're left to imply <laughs> the other parts, uh, which is not, yeah, we build theological uh, beliefs a lot, even about the Trinity, so. Um, yeah, the, um, there's a passage I wanted to take a peek at. Um, Hebrews... Uh, chapter 9. Need two hands. Can't do it. Uh, verse 14 is kind of one where we focus in. Uh, but we'll, I'll read through verse 11. It says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, uh, not of this creation, that is, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And this is an application of this idea that the spirit is holy. Like even in the work of Christ, the spirit being present starts to say, like, he sanctified him. Like, there, there's this work of offering himself to God in this sense. 
I mean, this is something that it's like our body's operating, like there's things happening that are very miraculous and wonderful that I don't even know about. This is one of those areas the Spirit just operated within salvation, within the work of Christ and the atonement. It's like, wow. <laughs> like something miraculous just occurred. Like, I mean, I think even people watching Christ crucified and resurrected are like, something just happened here. <laughs> Doesn't matter who was standing there, like that was substantial. And here's a little bit, and this is one of the things that's beautiful about Hebrews. It gives you this, this glimpse into all that's going on a little bit behind the scenes. So the Spirit's work, even in the work of Christ, um, becomes incredibly important uh, in the work of coming before God himself, of how is it made so we can walk in the presence of God. I think I'm always um, most baffled by the work of Christ. And then the, the curtain is torn between the Holy of Holies and the, the rest of the temple. And all of a sudden, it seems to give this implication like you can walk into the presence of God. And I go back to Nadab and Abihu. It's like, you can't just walk into the presence of God. <laughs> and I think the Israelites would especially think that. Like this massive curtain that separated us from God has just been torn. And this becomes one of those things the angels are watching and saying, that's how <laughs> he's accomplished that. Like they don't have redemption the way we have. Like they fall and they're gone. <laughs> On with uh, the reprobate, so to speak. Like they are, there's no hope for the angels in that sense. Uh, but for us, the angels are watching on saying, how is God accomplishing this? So the work of the Holy Spirit was very present, evident in um, Christ. Uh, but it's also evident in God's people, in us. Um, yeah, how do we start to think through the person of the Spirit and the purposes of God in this category as well? God continues to work in and through us. Um, I wonder if we look to Acts. Um, <clears throat> oftentimes we think of Acts, and we'll go to chapter 2, actually chapter 1. Um, we think of Acts, and we um, think of it this way because it titles it this way, but the Acts of the Apostles, but as you read it, doctrinally it actually becomes much more the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit on display starts to come through. And, and this is usually one of the primary problems just of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You think like, well, the Holy Spirit um, in gifts, well, I have the gift. <laughs> All of a sudden becomes the little bit, the little minute shift. Uh, and yet here we're seeing the, the Holy Spirit's work on display. Um, uh, let's just read this. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I wonder if... Um, and this gives us this little bit of a picture here. Um, just of the, the beginnings of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, as it's promised. Uh, does anyone want to read that? Acts 1, 1 through 11, a little longer section. If not, I can. Go ahead, yeah.
So there's a few things here you see in the, the work and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in and through us, I think right here, like this becomes, um, Acts 1-9 becomes a little bit of a, uh, or where, he, where he identifies, like you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Like there, there starts to be a little bit of a purpose statement <laughs> for the church that we can start to take. This is very mission-oriented of like what is happening here. And then the Holy Spirit has a very specific role in this. As we think about that, like what, what does the Holy Spirit's role become? You start to see, like, I mean, if God wants you to do this, this work of bringing people, unholy people into the church, like you'll be my witnesses to, to start to carry this work forward. Um, if you've ever sat and chatted with someone who is, doesn't believe in God, like you can start to recognize sometimes the more you tell them about God, the more stubborn they get. <laughs> and you're like, I'll just convince them. And then it can be a nine-month, three-year 15-year conversation, you're like, there's no changing <laughs> this person's mind about the person of God. And in fact, it almost seems to harden them like the more I press in. And if the Lord just said, like, I want you to go do these things, good luck. We start to say, it's a very hopeless cause. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in. One, it, it's the power of regeneration in us, the power of God working in and through the individual believer. But there's also like, this power given to you, what purpose for? Well, to accomplish this thing he's just left you to do. I haven't left you without the ability to do these things. Um, it becomes very, very important for us to understand where God is going if we want to understand the purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there's moments, it's like, we desire, we should honestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? I think it starts to fit within this to say, like, would you help me accomplish the edification of the church, the building up of the church. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in the Corinthian church. He says, why should you desire these gifts? It's for the building up of the body. And this is the carrying forward of your kingdom come, your will be done. And oftentimes we rip it out of that and say like, well, I, I just want to make people happy. <laughs> I want them to, to be freed from uh, just oppression, hardships, pain, you know, all these things. Like, and if I have that power, I can just, you know, sprinkle some blessing around. And the Spirit's work is not that random. <laughs> like, he has the mind of God. He understands the mind of God. He has the purpose of God. And there is this ability for us to say, I very much pushed in the same direction. Um, so as we think of um, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. One of the things that uh, we hold to um, the gifts of the Spirit, one of the things that you see, like the, the gifts of the Spirit were pulled, poured out in a very miraculous way. And so one of the things that we believe is that God still works um, in very unique ways within believers, you see like the, 
the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, like this, this becomes evident in believer. And that is normative for all believers to say, you should see evidence that this person is regenerate. Um, some churches will hold that there are special gifts or the gifts of the apostles that cause healings and prophecies. And these types of special gifts that were very unique in the early church and you start to see these and say, like, what, what was the role of these? And some churches say, well, if you don't have the gift of tongues or healing or prophecy, uh, you're not regenerate. They say that's normative for all believers. In fact, you've got to find your gift. Like, <laughs> we're going to keep working on you until we figure it out. And so do you have the gift of tongues? Like, and they'll keep pushing and pushing until you speak in some gift. And it becomes, as you can imagine, fairly confusing for believers and manipulative at points to say, well, I've got to produce some gift if I want to be saved got to get there. Um, so GCF holds a view that the gifts do continue. God continues to work in these ways, but it's not that. It's not normative for all believers. Um, and one of the, the texts that, so there's two camps. One is continuationist camp, says these gifts do continue. The other is a cessationist camp, which says these gifts cease. Um, and so this is one of the texts, and we'll just kind of look at this. Um, that becomes kind of a, a key one for cessationists especially to say, like, this is how I interpret this. And it's just helpful. It doesn't necessarily completely land the plane, but it's just helpful to keep in mind, of like, what are we looking for in Scripture? Because um, the Apostle Paul engages very fully with the gifts of the Spirit. Like, what's the purpose of that? Um, and we should be able to place it well. So 1 Corinthians 14, it says this, starting in verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know him in part, then I shall know him fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So this key moment in this becomes, well, all these things sh shall pass away. He says in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so this becomes kind of the key text to say, well, when you have the fullness of God's revelation of Scripture is the cessationist argument. Once this has all been given to us, we don't need prophecies. We don't need these things anymore. Um, and so, I mean, this is the, the thing you wrestle with. And to me, this, that becomes too simplistic of a reading uh, to say, well, it's just all gone because I know exactly what the apostle means there when he says, when the perfect comes. Um, and it just seems to push pretty far into that. It doesn't mean it's not true. Um, but it could also be, what about the eschaton when the perfect comes? And so there's other ways to interpret this text and to understand it. Um, but the Apostle Paul is not unclear about the place of the gifts in the church. Um, and oftentimes you see it in church and it's just bizarre, the things that they're after with prophecies and disjointed teachings and pro like healings going on all over. And it's just like that. The Apostle Paul would condemn that and say, that's not the work of the Spirit. It's chaotic. <laughs> it doesn't line up. And you start to see the purpose and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And you say, 
it is very focused in on the purpose and will of God. And if this becomes just kind of random, you know, circus, like that is not within line with the character of who God is and what he's after. And I should start to expect that, to say, Lord, how are you going to work and help us accomplish this work? How are you going to build up the church in ways that are needed within the church? How are you going to help us to understand? Or, I mean, prophecy oftentimes is even misunderstood. We think, well, this is just some future knowledge about some random, random thing. But often the prophets, their primary role was actually not uh, future telling. It was primarily to call people back to covenant faithfulness. To say, do you remember the law of God? <laughs> and they're the ones to bring that news to people to say, like, you remember Jonah, he comes in, he says, like, repent, turn back, come back to the things and the ways God has, like, you're living in an abomination. And that one was very unique because he's going to, you know, a nation that's not one of God's people. But this is the role of the prophets very often to say, don't forget the law. And so even in prophecy, oftentimes it's like, should it be extracted from Scripture? I think very often it should not. Like, <laughs> you should be like, wow, I'm hearing Scripture through this prophecy. Like, <laughs> in fact, a conviction to go back to Scripture. And it's not that wild and crazy at that point. It's like, oh, that's actually adding solidity to what I already believe, not causing it to be thrown into chaos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a sense that prophecy is not... There is a sense that there were times when Jesus came in and said, this is what I will do in the future. And there were some moments that would speak like that, but primarily it's like there's things that you can hold to and know that prophecy should be pushing us towards. A um, couple quick, um, just as we think of the implications of the Spirit's work, um, I think we've started to touch on these, but we might just highlight them again just as we head out here. Um, one, I think there's a sense that I start to recognize that God is very personal. Uh, and I can be comforted by who God is, and he can apply some of the things that I know very personally to me. Um, so, like, there's the general truth about who God is, and then there's a sense he knows me, like, there is a, a necessity of the Spirit to work in and through my mind and my heart to settle some of these things. Like, you start to read Scripture, and it's like, why do I know it's true, and how am I convicted by it? Well, the Spirit begins to work personally in me, and that's not, you know, in contradiction to Scripture. That's not in contradiction to the work of God, to say, like, God works very personally in and through me through the Spirit. Um, any other things you think of implications of all that we've thought of with the Spirit? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also some implications of the same spirit of God that rests in me, like rests in you and you and you. Like, uh, like how, like one of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about is like you are called to the ministry of reconciliation. I always think that's very interesting. Uh, and a unity and bond in the spirit. It's like, how is it that, and I've seen this sometimes just in home groups and church, that sometimes we are the weirdest group of people like a hodgepodge, like we don't have anything in common, and yet all of a sudden we're sitting in the same room in fellowship. It doesn't always happen immediately, and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> it doesn't just, and we shouldn't just say, like, well, that's just, you know, we're, we're good people. We, we bear with one another. <laughs> like, that doesn't just happen. And the world, this is one of the evidences I think the world looks in, is like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> like, this shouldn't happen. And yet that's a picture of the kingdom of God. Um, even farther than we're comfortable with, like every nation, every tribe, very unique things that blend. Like you look at the, the divisions in the world, it's like it, it's not the way it's going to be. Like there's a, a uni, unifying nature of the Holy Spirit that's continuing to work uh, within God's people. Uh, that's not very easy for us. If we're like, you know, denominational history will tell you anything about the, <laughs> the natural. It's to split. It's to move apart. Bob, do you have something? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Like in and through God's word and in and through the spirit. Those things work somehow mysteriously together. Absolutely. Um, Many, many more things, just like any of these topics that we could think on, reflect on, start to apply wrestle through, um, and so this is just a, a brief overview, but there should be something you're able to come back down to on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to say, who is the Holy Spirit? We're able to stand on it a little bit and say, the Holy Spirit is God. It carries the, within that statement, like, the purpose of God, the character of God, the work of God, like, is not random, is not disoriented, and the Spirit of, and the Holy Spirit is still active and working. There's an expectation that the Spirit would move. So there's things that we, um, we can probably hold on to pretty firmly, even amidst the culture that makes it very um, messy and <laughs> disorienting to say, what do I do with the Spirit? It's like we can actually come back to Scripture and say, there's some pretty clear things to know about the Spirit of God. Let's do pray and we'll wrap up there. Father God, we, uh, we rejoice that we do just have these things in Scripture that you have given to us, an understanding of your character through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even as we think on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you help us to recognize the significance of this doctrine and also the significance of the work of your Holy Spirit within each of us, within our church. And Lord, that we would not neglect the work of the Holy Spirit. We would desire you to work more, that we would turn to you regularly and often, daily, 
to see how you would work in and through us. So Lord, we ask that we would help us to understand these things more, to live in light of them, and to be changed by them. Lord, we, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.